Well, uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, and I highly encourage you to today, uh, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're on week three of the series on David. Uh, I'm loving uh, David. We're calling it David, heart flaws and all. And the reason is, is because David is described as a man after God's own heart. So he has some character, he has some integrity. There's some things about David that are worth maybe emulating. That's why we name our children David. That's why the name lasts. This is a very old name. And there's those, those qualities we want to see in our children. So we, we use the name David. But then he also had some flaws. And he's, he's not a flawless man. He, he made mistakes along the way. Uh, but, but even in that, you see the humanity, and there's an opportunity to learn from that. Like, here's a man who made a mistake, uh, ruined some things, made, made it very hard for other people in his life, but then still turned to the Lord and still found forgiveness and, and redemption in even that story. And so what we see with David is a very human person trying to make sense of this world, trying to put one foot in front of another, sometimes making the right choice, sometimes making the wrong choice, but in all things, trying and in that, I think that we can learn something about who God's calling us to be. And so we're in this series. If you know of David, uh, the biggest story you know of David is David and Goliath. I've got great news for you. That's where we're at today. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. I've been teaching the Bible since I was about 17 years old, give or take, uh, in different capacities. Not very good at 17, but I, I did. I opened the Bible and I tried to teach something. Uh, that, that gives me about 20 years worth of teaching the Bible. And in 20 years, I don't think I've ever taught David and Goliath. I've skipped it. It's kind of, it was kind of too, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, like uh, memorable, wrote. It's almost like you know the conclusion before you start. You know what I'm saying? And if, if you're like me, and I'm sitting in your seat, and the guy on stage said, hey, I'm about to teach David and Goliath. I'm just going to close my Bible. Like, he, I know he wins. I know I, He killed the giant, right? Well, yes, uh, the story doesn't change. Uh, but there is a ton of humanity and a ton of faithfulness packed into the to the episode. It's a long chapter, and the part where he actually fights the giant is only a few sentences. It's the rest of the chapter that I want to look at today. And so I would challenge you, even though I'm telling you that we're going over David and Goliath, don't check out on me. Uh, let's let's look at this story together. Before we do, where we've been uh, in in the first two weeks of this series on David is we, we we've got two characters that we really needed to look at, and we, we're starting to understand. Character one, his name is Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. He was appointed king after God said, you don't want a king. I don't want that for you. And they said, no, we do want a king. We want to be just like them. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. And so Saul is the king. He has all of the credentials. He looks right. Uh, he's, he's handsome. He's the most handsome man and the most tall man in all of Israel. Uh, but he is a knucklehead. He just can't figure out how to put one foot in front of another. He just leans on his strengths instead of uh, addressing his weaknesses. And he tries to compensate for his weaknesses over and over and over again. And honestly, who in here can, can say, oh, I've never done that? Yeah, we've, we've all done that. We've all found ourselves in a position where you were, you were like ankle deep in a hole that you dug for yourself, and you're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig deeper and just like go to town on it, try to dig your way out of it. And, and that's what Saul did. He made that mistake. We make that mistake, and, and he's going to lose the kingdom over that. And so when, when we ended with Saul on week one, uh, God has said to him, I'm ripping the kingdom from your hand but it hasn't happened yet. Even in this story, it hasn't happened yet. David is not king yet. I'm going to appoint a new king, Saul, and his name is going to be David. And, and God says to Saul, he's better than you. Golly, man, just knife to the heart. That's got to just, a man who's so built around his own ego to be told, I'm going to replace you with someone better than you. is just like, ugh. Anyway, then we met David. David is just some kid 
with, with beautiful eyes, Scripture says. He had red hair, beautiful eyes, and he was kind of handsome, okay? Uh, he, 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 he works for his dad. He's faithful, but he's been appointed the next king. You're anointed, David. You're going to be king. But then he found himself in what appears to be years of this in-between moment before he's king, but he knows one day he's going to be king. And what we see in the character of David is that he's faithful in the in-between moments. It's those in-between moments that you and I find ourselves in that it's like, what am I supposed to do? God, what are you doing? I'm waiting for you to provide for my family. I'm waiting for you to say yes to that prayer. I'm waiting for you to just, like, I can hear an answer in that prayer. So many of us, unless you're on the the uh, the, the the peak of some huge celebration moment, or you're in the valley of terrible circumstances, you're in the in-between. And, and a lot of us, we have a faith that's really good on the mountaintops and a faith that's really good in the valleys. But, but if we had to be honest, like when, when our faith goes dry, it's when we spend too long in the in-between. It's like nothing's really driven me to my knees in prayer. Nothing, nothing's driven me to say, God, thank you. Nothing's driven me to say, God, help me. It's just I'm in the in-between. What do I do? Well, what David did is that he stayed faithful over and over again. He never, he never leaned on the future promise to like rub it in somebody else's nose. He's, he was just a faithful guy in the in-between. And now inserts the story of Goliath. We have a lot of ground to cover, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to just dive right in. But the story of Goliath is not some like mountaintop moment David knew he was walking into. The story of Goliath is David was just doing his normal in-between thing. He was being faithful in the in-between moment, and then Goliath pops up out of nowhere. It's fascinating. Uh, if you're into big, epic movies, uh, this this one chapter, they should just make a, a straight movie out of it. I'm sure someone did, and I'm sure it was super cheesy, but if, if Marvel Cinematic Universe can get their hands on this, I don't know what the licensing rights are on First Samuel, but I would love to see this played out uh, with some action sequences. It's, it's, it's awesome. Guys, uh, someone, someone gets killed, and there's trash talking. I love biblical trash talking, good godly trash talking. I will kill you. That's how it sounded. Let's look together. Uh, I'll, I'll read some, then I'll pause and try to explain some things that are going on. Um, let's, let's go. Starting in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now the, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. If, if you can remember uh, way back, uh, there was a guy named Samuel. Samuel found peace with all the people around, but then Saul, he just goes to war over and over and over again. So he's picking fights that he can't win, and, and he's just constantly at war. And he's at war with one of the groups is the Philistines. So it's just a, another day for Saul. Oh, it's time to go to battle. Oh, it's a Tuesday. It's time to kill a Philistine. That's, that's like the way he thinks. It says, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in, I'm going to try, Ephes Damim. Uh, you have to be careful because that can come out different pronunciations. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Let me, let me pause and say some things real quick. Uh, I'm about to teach you the story of David and Goliath. There's a giant involved. And so some of us with, with our, our modern thinking, it's like, oh, it's a myth, right? It, it, it's, it's just a, a made-up story. Uh, I would like to just say that Samuel, the author, seems to think that uh, it's important for me to name places, to name people, to put time in scope. It's written as if it really happened, not as if it's a made-up story. And it's written so that the, the modern audience who would have read 1 Samuel for the first time, many of them, we're talking thousands of people drawn up in battle, many of them are going to still be alive. And so if Samuel is lying or if he's making up like vast amounts of the story, uh, there would be people alive to be like, hey, bro, I was there. 
that giant was four feet tall. Like I'm telling you, they would have corrected Samuel in the moment, but that history doesn't do that. It seems to be that Samuel was written to be a, a, a historical record. And what's happened is, is that the battle that they're getting into, they, they, they would fight here and then they'd move over here and then they, these people would move, but they, they've, they've both approached the same uh, valley right here, but there's a mountain here and a mountain here, and there's this valley between them. Now, you and I, we live in the, the, the Fertile Crescent of Southeast Texas. Um, it is, it is flatland for hundreds of miles in all directions, right? We, we're in a, a coastal floodplain, they say. Israel is mountainous. And when I say mountainous, I mean to walk from here to Walmart, which is just two blocks away, you have gone down a mountain and back up another mountain. They're not super tall mountains, but they're steep, like very sharp inclines. It is nothing for, for you to just look three mountains over, right? Because, because of how the terrain is. And the, the armies have, have taken the high ground. And if you're a fan of Star Wars, you know you need the high ground to win a battle, right? And so what would happen is, is they're, they're in stalemate. Neither one of them wants to go into the valley because you go into a weaker position when you're going down into the valley. So if Israel goes down into the valley, they're going to get beat by the Philistines just based on normal war logic. And, you know, if they sit up here, and so if the Philistines go down into the valley, they're going to get beat. Uh, there's a term in chess, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's, it's uh, I think it's called zugzwang, Z-U-G-Z-W-A-N-G. And it's this idea that you've both ended up in a position that no matter who makes the next move, it puts you in a weaker position. And so the Philistines will go weaker if they go into the valley, and Israel will go weaker if they go into the valley. And so they're stuck, staring at each other, waiting for someone to make the next move. And there, in verse 4, came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. What a beautiful name. I mean, he just sounds intimidating. Whose height was six cubits and a span. Uh, Somebody get your tape measure and mark the cubits. Uh, He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Nobody gasped. Why? Who in here knows how much a shekel is, right? I don't know. Like, I've got 50 shekels in my shoe. I, I I don't know. I don't know how much a shekel is. Um, here, here's, uh, here's the, the height that Goliath would have been, uh, if you convert it and, and they didn't change, you know, measurements, uh, the, 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 the cubits in a span would have equaled about nine foot six, nine foot six is how big we're supposed to know that Goliath is. And so the question is, is that even possible? Is it possible for a man, any human in all of history to be nine foot six? Because some of us, we want to be like, before we talk about this story and learn something from it, I got to know, is this real or not? Uh, well, we have some options, okay? And so I just want to talk about how to, how to understand Scripture. Um, one is literal, is, is an option. You can just read it straight away, and it's 100%. He was exactly nine foot six. You can also read it as uh, an approximation, uh, because before the end of the story, uh, David, or excuse me, uh, Goliath gets his head cut off. You, spoiler alert. Sorry if I ruined that for anybody. Uh, David wins the fight. Okay. So he gets his head cut off. And so it's, it's difficult for me to understand how did they measure Goliath and win? Because his head gets cut off and they like take his body somewhere else. And so, uh, is, is this just a report from the Philistines? We've got a guy. You wouldn't believe it. He's nine foot six. 
Uh, and, and they're like, oh, he must be nine foot six. I don't know. And then he gets out there and he's like, I don't know how big he is, but he looks huge. He's nine foot six as possible. Um, Guinness Book of World Records has a guy, uh, he died in 1940. This is modern times, 1940. He died at age 22, tallest man alive in recorded history. He was uh, right at nine feet. He was like a half an inch short of nine feet. So is it possible that there was one man who was six inches taller than the tallest man we've never known in the last hundred years? Yes. It's possible. Is it possible that it's an approximation? Yeah, that's possible too. Is it possible that it's a hyperbole meant to prove a point? Yeah, those are all possible interpretations. But here's what we know. He's huge. He's a big dude. And we know who the tallest man in Israel is at this moment. Do you guys remember who the tallest man in Israel is? Saul. And so if you leave, lead with the tallest man of the Philistines, well, you've got to start with the tallest man of Israel, right? And they look at Saul, and Saul's just shaking. Like, uh-uh, not going to be me. I've got to king things. You know, I've, got, I've got stuff to do. I, I, I can't. So Goliath is huge. Uh, he's terrifying. He's got all this armor. He's got, uh, um, uh, he's got uh, an armor that weighs 120 pounds. He's got a spearhead that weighs 14 and a half pounds. He, he has a spearhead the size of a toddler that he can just, and just launch it through the air. This guy is, is intimidating. Uh, just for quick reference, uh, Andre the Giant, you guys know him? Seven foot four. That dude was a beast. He was huge. He had like a size uh, a, a giraffe shoe. It was it was just it was just massive. And one more stat, uh, just just so that you know, uh, the average height of a male from 1810 to 1980 uh, grew from five foot three in just the just 170 years, five foot three to six feet is the average height. So even in humanity, like there's different size people uh, as time goes on. Goliath is a beast, and he showed up in the valley. He's, every now and then there's a little skirmish. Israel gets into a fight with the Philistines. Uh, and there's a, a skirmish. And it says in verse 8, He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Notice he doesn't say that, Hey, aren't you followers of the Lord, Yahweh? He doesn't reference God. Why? Because Saul hadn't made these wars about God. Saul had been making it about himself this whole time. Saul has been making his entire career about himself, and now he faces a battle he can't win because he made it about himself. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. What's, what Goliath is going to propose is that we go into what's called representative battle, champion battle. This is beautiful. I love this. If, if you've watched Gladiator, you know what this is like. The entire room has one person that represents them that goes down into the battle. And the, the other side of the, the stadium has this other person that goes down. And whoever wins, wins the game. If you're, if you're a Cowboys fan, you know this. Like The one team represents you, and the other team represents uh, another group of, of people. And what's going to happen is, is that they're supposed to determine the, how we're going to break the stalemate. Neither army wants to march down into the valley, uh, but we need, to, we need to figure out who's going to run and win this battle. When I was in college, we had representative battle, uh, and it was, it was beautiful. 
we had a history uh, professor that uh, he, he taught ancient, uh, like Roman history, ancient history, and his tests were notoriously difficult. Uh, you, would, you would do this test. There was multiple choice, like uh, four choices that you can get, and you would finish in the grade. If you, if you were the smartest guy in the class, you got like a 45 or 50. That, that is it. Like it, you do not pass these tests. It is nothing. And so you get the grade and you look at it and you're like, oh man, I bombed this test. And the reason is, is because he would, he would have multiple options that are, they're all right, but different levels of right. Uh, and, and it was a thing. And so what would happen is, is the next class day, we would show up and we had what's called postmortem. And postmortem is this, you all failed the test. And so you need to make an argument for why you gave the wrong answer. And then, and then you would have someone and you would kind of get together and you're like, Hey, did you put, did you put A on number one? Yeah, I put A. Okay. Why? Why'd you put A? Well, I, had, I thought I read that in the book. Well, tell him. And so you would make this case. You would get this, this gladiator, this champion, like, Hey, tell him the reason that you chose A. And if you made a convincing enough argument, not only could you get all of your points back, you could also get extra credit points. Like if you could say that his test was wrong, he would love it and you would get more points back for it than you lost. But, but this one person who represented the rest of the room would, would get the A change for everybody else in the room. It was beautiful. And so you would, you would finish the test with like a 50 and then you'd walk out of postmortem with a solid like 100, 105. Like it was just ridiculous. Uh, and, so, and so if you if you were taking the test, it became a moment where it's not like which one's right, but what can I argue later on tomorrow? Like what, what can I know is coming up next? The Philistines are like, hey, I'm not going down in that valley. Uh, and you know what I'm gonna do? We're gonna send Goliath. Just send one guy down, and I'm going to mop the floor with him. I've got this. And what happens is that when they see him in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I had to look up the Hebrew for the word dismayed because like, that doesn't mean anything to me in English. Uh, it's this idea of being so focused on the problem, you can't think of anything else. The problem is in your face shouting at you, taunting you, telling you, you can't beat me. And you're just, you're just dismayed. You're like, it, it, your, your, your heart is, is tight. Your chest is tight and your breathing is shallow anxiety. We would use the word anxiety. Uh, I have rapid thoughts and I can't focus on anything. I have a huge problem. Saul had a huge problem and all of people, all of Israel saw it and, and they were dismayed. They were anxious. So let's, let's see what David's been up to. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite uh, of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse. Awesome guy. Should have been celebrated more. Who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. So Jesse's an old guy and his sons are, are adults. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into battle, and the names of his three sons, who we've already met, by the way, uh, who went into the battle were Eliab, uh, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul. So the, the three oldest brothers have been uh, conscripted into war. Remember, remember the warning that was given Israel. If you get a king, he's going to take your strongest sons. Well, Jesse, the father of David, had that happen to him. His three oldest sons aren't working the, the land anymore. They're now in battle with Saul, and this is probably the entire nation. But David, remember, is he's kind of been adopted as Saul's you know, adopted son in some respects. And so he's going back and forth from battle to battle. So every day, Saul wakes up, and he goes to battle with the Philistines here, here, and here. And David will go, and he'll check on his king. Maybe he'll play him a little song. Then he'll go and check on his sheep. He'll go over here and uh, help his dad with some stuff. And even now, he's in the in-between. He, he doesn't just rest. He gets both jobs done. He's faithful to both sides. 
So it's in verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came for, forward and took a stand morning and evening. For 40 days, a month and 10 days, they're in stalemate on the mountains. Have you ever had a problem that's just screaming at you? Not just for one day causing you anxiety, but for a month and 10 days, it's just, you can't focus on anything else. Your chest is tight. You're dismayed. You're greatly afraid. You, you, you wake up and you think today's going to be a good day. And then the stupid Philistine comes down. And, sorry, I said stupid. It comes down into the valley and, and just starts yelling. And you're just like, it just captures your attention, messes up your whole day. For a month and 10 days, Israel just stood on the mountaintop listening to this guy yell and they can't do anything. But David, he's going back and forth. And it says in verse 17, Jesse said to David, his son, hey, listen, take for your brothers this ephah, that's 22, or excuse me, 11 liters of this parched grain. It's basically like granola. He's like, here, take some granola bars to your brothers and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheese to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token for, from them. One thing that's hard for me to wrap my mind around on, on this war scene, uh, because because I live in the in the 21st century, and as far as America knows, war is far far away, right? We send our soldiers to war, and they get on a plane and they fly to wherever the wars are. We haven't had a war in our backyard in a, in, a, in a while, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, David is close enough to the battle line that he gets to go back and forth between dad, like I gotta go check on the sheep. Oh, let me bring some granola bars to my brothers over here. Oh, I got to go back to the sheep. Let me bring some cheese to the commanders and like help him out. You know, when, when, we, when we send our, uh, our soldiers overseas, we send care packages, don't we? That's what he's doing, except he's doing it in person. He's going in person to the battle scene. Maybe my brothers are alive. Maybe they went down to the battle. Who, who knows? The anxiety had to have been uh, palpable. Uh, this is in, in their backyard. Now Saul, uh, verse 19, and, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eli fighting with the Philistines. So what would happen is that between Goliath taunting, they were just getting little skirmishes every now and then, sending about 10 guys down, 10 guys they'd fight and they'd watch. And it says, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampments as the host was going out uh, to the battle line, shouting the war cry. So he gets there kind of early in the morning. It's battle time. There's some kind of war cry. I don't know what a war cry would sound like. Would somebody just like yell out what you think a war cry might be like? Three, two, one. I love it. That's the exact, actually, it's right here. That's that in the Hebrew. That's good. That was a real risk I took. I didn't know what was going to be yelled. They would shout, and there's this war cry, and David hears it. And it says, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle. They heard that terrifying Chewbacca, and they drew up for battle, army against army. And so David, like, this is action time, right? David was just there with his granola bars and his cheese. He's like, here, hold this. He says, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Hey, brother, how's, how are things going? You know? And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. So all this taunting for a month and 10 days has been happening while David is going back and forth. But this one moment, after a month and 10 days of it happening, David hears the taunt. And he's like, uh, no, no, what? This guy's taunting our armies, taunting our God? You've got to be kidding me. What's going on? How, why is nobody doing anything? Can somebody shut him up, please? Because uh, somebody needs to, needs to handle this. And it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. They look at Goliath and they just take off and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. They look at the problem, they look at Goliath, and they think he's going to be the end of us. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Somewhere along the way, Saul has made a promise. Whoever gets rid of this problem, uh, I will, I will, you will pay no taxes. Uh, you will get to marry a princess, my daughter. Uh, who, who's going to take care of this? And David hears this for the first time. And he's a young guy, uh, beautiful eyes. And so you know, it's like, oh, I can get married. Okay. And David said to the men who stood by him, uh, what, uh, what was that? He said, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's so confused by this. He's so confused. How can anybody defy the living God? You know, Saul, he had made the entire war about himself. Goliath knew it. Goliath said, you are the people of Saul. Who's going to rise up against me? And Saul, by his own strength, even though he's the tallest man in all of Israel, is not big enough to handle this problem. But David gets there, and he doesn't realize that Saul's made it all about him, and he's hearing it for the first time, and he says, "Who, who can defy the living God? There's something that's different when Saul and all the other people stare at the size of the problem, who as David, on the other hand, looks at the problem and remembers the size of his God. Who can defy the living God? Are you kidding me? I don't care if he's 125 feet tall. Who can defy the living God? And the people answered him uh, in the same way. You know, you you get the daughter, you get the tax-free house. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. And so David's going around, he's asking these questions. It says, now Eliab, the the oldest brother, uh, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I love that the big brother still hates the little brother. Like, there's a little bit of beef there. Any big brothers, little brothers situations here? Like, there's a, like, he's just some guy asking questions on the front line, and the big brother's like, hey man, get out of here. And he says, he says, uh, his anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? Why, why are you here? And whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. I know what you're doing. I know you're just here to look at a battle. I know you're trying to stir us up. I know what you're up to, David. It says, verse 29, David says, what have I done, man? It, it was just me talking. What, it, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. I love uh, that, that David, two things. One is uh, he, he ignores his brother. Uh, and then he starts asking the same questions. Like, hey, what, what, what was going to happen? Who kills Goliath? Oh, he gets a tax-free house and a wife. Sweet. I'm sorry, I forgot. Tell me again. Uh, oh, the tax-free house and the wife? Awesome. He's just going around. He keeps asking the same question over and over again. Something else that David does that I think is a point of character, something that I wouldn't do, uh, I tend to, once I get, uh, I don't know, more worked up than I am right now, uh, I tend to turn and get worked up against all the things that come against me. If I were David, what I think I would do is as I'm getting mad about Goliath and my brother said something to me, I would, I would first fight him, right? I'd, I'd put my brother where he's supposed to be, and then I would go take care of Goliath. But it, it's, it literally says David turned away from his brother. David stayed focused on what the real problem is right now. It's not that we need to fight each other. It's like, hey, there's this Goliath out here. And so he's just going around the crowd. He's asking, hey, what happens? Oh, I get the wife and the, the tax free. Okay. And it says, when the, verse 31, when the words uh, that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. It made it all the way to the king. And so the king sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He's like, hey, hey, listen, 
I can do this, man. I can, I can take care of this problem you've got. Nobody else in all of Israel, we're talking thousands of people, have said, I can take care of this. Everybody runs away from the problem. Everybody waits for the king to come up to a solution. David looks at the problem and says, God's got this. I can, I, I'll take care of it. And Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. You can't, you can't do this. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. This is the same as saying that guy has forgotten more about war in his life than you've known your entire life. You're just a, you're, you're just a kid, and he's been doing this since he was your age. You're going to get destroyed. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. I would love, some, please, somebody make this into a movie. Caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine. David, David's been faithful in all of his in-between moments and in every season of life, every problem he's ever faced, he, he's, he's turned it over to God and he's seen God come through. His problems before were smaller than Goliath. It was just a bear that he caught by the beard or the lion by the beard. Somebody, I don't know which of the two animals has a beard, if I had to be honest with you, but he catches one by the beard. Uh, he, he, he takes care of what was in front of him because he's just faithful in these in-between moments and he uses his memories of what God has already accomplished to know that God's got this too. Goliath is no match for God. All it's going to take is someone to know it's time to step out and do something. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go, and the Lord be with you. See, David had a history of following God so much so to the point. They had absolute trust that the size of his God was bigger than the size of this problem that his nation has, this Goliath. And he acted on it. He's not afraid to take that step forward. It's not, just a, it's, just, it's not just a thought exercise for him that God is big. He actually takes that first step towards him and says, hey, king, I can do this. Um, some of us in here, we don't have a problem with our, with our minds knowing how big God is. We have our problems with our feet knowing how big God is. We trust that God is big enough to help us with this thing. We trust that God is big enough to 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 trust or to, to lean on or to uh, ask for help with, with, this, with this problem with our family or marriage or work or whatever. We, we have this great assortment of people who have great theological knowledge, but their feet haven't caught up yet. See, David married the two. He, he had the knowledge of how big God was, and then he would take a step forward in that. I'm going to run out of time if I keep reading verse by verse. I'll speed up. Uh, Saul's like, okay, you got it, buddy. I'm going to trust you. And so Saul hands him all of his armor. And so David puts on the armor of the king as if he's going to go into battle. And he says, I can't. I can't go out there with this. I, I've not tested this. I, I, I've never practiced with these things. I, I need to go out just w- without that. Um, here, here's, here's something that's true of, of our lives as well. When you have problems that are so big that all you have is God to lean on, you're going to have people who try to give you wisdom and they try to tell you how they would handle it if they were in your situation. You, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I need help with my marriage. I need help with my kids. And they just come with all this advice and all these like bags of things and they just put it on you as if, as if you're supposed to wear this armor. Well, Saul, if you knew how to handle Goliath, uh, why don't you just go out there and do it? You're the tallest man in Israel, right? Oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm the king. I'm, I'm the king. See, David, he goes and faces Goliath not with the solution that Saul placed on him. He just goes with God. 
and a stick and some, some stones. And so uh, they, they figure this out. Verse 41, it says, The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He looks at how small David is, just some kid, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. That cracks me up every time I read it. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I love a good curse. It's good. This movie just went from PG to PG-13, okay? So just, just hang with me, all right? It's getting more violent. Uh, he's yelling at him. He cursed him by his gods. Just like, you're just, what am I, some dog to you? And the Philistine said to David, here comes the trash dog. Come to me. You just a few steps more forward. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You just get right here, and I'm going to skin you alive, and I'm going to feed these animals around us. Come on, little kid. And David, he's not shook by this. David, David is staring his problem in the, in the face, and he's not shook. It says, then David said to the Philistine, well, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin. Maybe, maybe I'm not as, uh, uh, maybe I'm more intimidating than you're letting on. I just came with a stick, but you came with all these weapons, man. Like, who's really, uh, uh, who's really afraid? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, not, not I will deliver, not Saul and his army will deliver, not even the people of Israel will deliver. It is this day, the, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Boom! Mic drop, man. But then he keeps on. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Goliath says, I'm going to skin you alive, kid. I'm going to feed the animals. And David says, yeah, I'm going to kill you, cut your head off, and skin all the people behind you, and I'm going to feed the animals. Boom. Okay, let's, do, let's, let's throw down. You do, you, by the way, gentlemen, uh, after you say things like this, there's no way to walk away from the fight, okay? The fight is coming, and so we move from PG-13. We're going to go to Rated R, and I believe that if anybody makes this into a movie, it's going to be like an anime movie where there's like just like anybody who loves anime knows that this is, this is some action that's about to go down. And he says uh, in verse 47, all uh, this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. It's not, it's not that I'm going to win because I'm strong. I'm going to win because I've got God. That's, that's how we're going to do this. And everybody around here, both on my side of the mountain and your side of the mountain are going to know who the real God is and who can accomplish this thing. And so here we go. When the Philistine arose and came, drew near to meet David, Starts taking those few steps towards David, where the battle's going to go down. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David didn't walk. He didn't walk with fear. He sprinted like Naruto. <sighs> anime? No. Second service probably loves anime. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save it for them. And it says, and, and David, as he's sprinting, uh, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead. Look how graphic Samuel's getting with this. It hit him in the forehead, and then it dented his forehead. It just sank in. Yeah, I don't know if you know how hard that is. Uh, I, have, I have four boys at my house, and we have Nerf gun wars all the time. I try to shoot them in the head all the time. Like They'll run through the house, like, poof, poof, and I miss. It's hard to hit a moving target. David, in sprint, grabs a stone, slings it, hits this dude in the forehead, and it sinks into his forehead. And Goliath, it says, he fell on his face to the ground. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So how did he kill him? Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, took Goliath's own sword out, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. When the Philistines saw it, their champion was dead. They fled and the story continues. They, they, they all scatter. There's a big battle. Everybody's cheering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David, David just marched up there and took care of business. Here's the problem that we have with the story of Goliath and David. Uh, is I say David and Goliath, you're like, oh, he kills him, cuts his head off. That was four verses, guys. There's a lot going on right here. here here's, here's what David did. One is that he didn't prepare for this battle standing on that mountaintop staring at Goliath. You, you know that, right? David didn't find what he needed to, to, to solve this problem by meeting the problem for the first time and just staring at it for 40 days. That's not how he did it. What did David rely on? He relied on his history of trusting God in the in-betweens and God coming through over and over and over again. Here, here's a truth of humanity. You have, a, you have a, uh, a, a thing in your future. It's going to be big. It's going to be scary. It's going to have nasty teeth, and it's going to threaten you. It's going to yell things at you, and it's going to cause you to be dismayed. You're going to be shaking, and you're not going to solve it by staring at it. You're not going to figure it out. You're not going to stare at the Goliath and, and find its weakness and be able to, oh, I know how to deal with that. No, the, the way you're going to know how to deal with that is in your faithfulness now because you're in the in-between right now. You're going, to, you're going to grow with God. You're going to trust him in different things. You're going to hear what God's done in the lives of other people as we get into our prayer circles where you're going to see what God has done elsewhere. And then when the big scary beast happens, whatever it is, you're going to look at it and remember all the things that God has already done. It's in the in-between that David was faithful and that he was preparing for this battle. When, when he looked at Goliath, he never like comments on the size of Goliath. He always comments on the size of God. How, how big is God in your understanding? Like how, how much, how much do you know of his goodness and his, his power? How, how many, how many times has he come through for you? That, that last song we sang is that he's faithful, that he's always been faithful. As I walk around these walls, I'm sure by now they would have fallen, but still I know that you're, you're faithful. That's what we just sang. God's been faithful to you, to your family. God's seen you through some hard, hard times before. And the next time you face a problem, stop commenting on how big the problem is and start commenting on how big your God is. Uh, another thing, David didn't get distracted by his brother. Uh, a lot of times we have a problem that is, is causing us anxiety, uh, and then we turn and kind of attack the people near us. Uh, he stayed focused on who God was. And then he didn't just have a knowledge of God that was in his head, but he actually put it to the ground. He put his feet on the ground, and he took steps towards it. I think that we can learn something from David, how he faced Goliath. I think that uh, his faithfulness is something that should be uh, celebrated and we can, we can grow in as well. But this was a, a representative battle. This was someone send a champion here to handle my big bad problem and you send a champion. It's written as history, not as allegory. Um, however, there is a parallel because your greatest enemy, the greatest enemy any of us has ever had is death. And it stared us down for all of humanity and said, you can't beat me. Send somebody to beat me. You can't do it. And our representative Christ shows up and he beat death in the face. 
He won the victory over death. He won the victory over your greatest threat, your greatest giant. You stand in victory just as all of Israel stood in victory, not because all of Israel was strong, but because David was faithful to do what he was called to do, and he did it. You can stand in victory not because you're strong, but because your champion is. Your champion is Christ, and he defeated death. And you do not have to worry about the consequences of death and how it ruins and rots every relationship in your life because you can stand in victory over that. As Goliath uh, was slain, the Philistines scattered in Israel in celebration, chased the Philistines down and had their little battles and their little wars. There's more wars to come after this. You have problems as a, as a follower of Jesus, even though death has been defeated, that you're going to have to face. But you don't face it alone. You face it as a victor. You face it in obedience, and you face it knowing your God is bigger than anything that you're going to, to look at in this world, anything scary in this world. Uh, let me pray. Uh, and then uh, we will uh, just be dismissed. There's not a queue today, but there is one announcement I'd like to make, uh, and that is uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, uh, we're having Cornerstone. This is a new members class, and so if you have uh, some questions about CW or you're like, I have zero questions, I'm just ready to make Carpenter's Way my home, uh, that's today at 4 o'clock. Uh, if you haven't already signed up for it, you can fill out a yes card in the seat in front of you, but let me pray, uh, and then you will be dismissed. Lord, we come to you. Uh, and we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your victory over our greatest problem. Uh, Lord, remind us every time we see a problem uh, to focus on you and not that thing. Uh, remind us how big you are and not how big that thing is. And Lord, help us find courage in your faithfulness that you've already demonstrated to us in our past, your faithfulness that you've demonstrated in our friends and our brothers and sisters around us. Um, help us to lean on those truths uh, and see victory over the giants that we see around us. Um, Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.